Well, good morning. How are you today? Not that good, apparently. I mean, I know it's the last week of summer and some of you are starting school tomorrow, but that was, uh, that was lame. Um, so I'm doing great. I uh, hope you're going to get better. Uh, welcome to Spring Valley. My name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time or you've been away a little bit over the summer, which uh, a lot of us have had a chance to travel, and that's a good thing, uh, hopefully you're rested and rejuvenated and uh, looking forward to the fall and um, just kind of getting back into routine. Uh, that's me. I don't know if that's you, but that's definitely me. I uh, love to see all of you um, every week. Um, we've been in the book of James, and if you've missed some of the sermons from James, I- I'm not saying this because I have actually haven't preached most of them over the summer, so I can say this. They've been awesome. So if you would just uh, find your way to the podcast if you've missed some sermons. Our podcast is on our website, which is uh, www.springvalley.cc, and there's a podcast page. You can pick those up. And today we're about uh, two weeks away from finishing James. Today is the second last sermon in James. And here's what I want to say about today. Sometimes when I open the Bible and I'm studying a passage, I am surprised at how timely God's Word is. It's timeless, meaning it's always relevant, and it's timely in the sense that it's His Word for today, right now, and it's important, and it's necessary, and it has something to speak to not only us as a community, but also to our world. And so when I was studying the passage in James 5 this week, I was thinking about things like the persecuted Christians in Iraq and who are being just devastated by ISIS, and the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, and then the just uh, confusing and seemingly unjust scene unfolding in Ferguson, Missouri. I think today's text speaks to all those things. And then, of course, there's your life, and there's my life, and there's things that we're facing. Unemployment, sickness, broken relationships, financial strain, stress, the imminent loss of a loved one, difficult circumstances at work, marital strife, infertility, depression, disappointment, and what some of us would just simply label as, I thought things were going to be different. Any of us ever feel that way? And it was feel that way this morning, like it's not supposed to be this way. And you walked into this place, and there's some pressure on your life that you weren't expecting to have on August 24th, 2014. Maybe life isn't turning out the way you hoped it would. Or maybe you are suffering oppression, and maybe you have been the victim of injustice. It seems that what James wrote almost 2,000 years ago is exactly the message so many of us need as we face the realities of life on this broken earth. No matter what your trial is today, I think James has something to say to you. The people that James was writing to, uh, they were Christians who had been persecuted, and because of a persecution that had broken out in the city of Jerusalem where they were from, they had to scatter and they had to leave their homeland, and they had to go find a new place to live outside the city. So they lost their home, they lost their job, they lost everything they knew. And so that alone would be a trial. But to make things worse, what we learned last week is that many of them were suffering at the hands of wealthy landowners who weren't paying them the wages that they were supposed to be paid for the work that they were doing. So put yourself in these shoes. I lost my home. I lost my job. I've lost everything I've known. Now I have to move. I don't know anyone except some of the other Christians who have been persecuted. We go to get jobs. We work these jobs as farmers in the field. And then the, make things even worse. We don't get paid the right way for the work we're doing. That's a tough day, right? I mean, that's not a good day. 
And today, James is going to speak to people who are in those kind of situations, who are facing economic hardship, injustice, and life is painful. James is going to teach you and I how to respond when the realities of life on this broken world punches us in the gut. Or to put it another way, we are going to learn how to hang on to Christ during hellish times. We're going to learn how to hang on to Christ. I think that's a better title for my message than what I originally gave it. How to hang on to Christ during hellish times. Let's pray together. Lord, you are a great king. You are the king of the universe. And Lord, there is nothing happening in our lives that you are unaware of. And Lord, your heart goes out to us today. Lord, you're full of compassion and full of mercy. And yet, Lord, we need you desperately today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you just come, speak through me. Speak to the hearts of every person in this room. Do the work only you can do, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. All right, let's turn to James chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, that's no problem. We have one for you if you need one, like we'll give you one, uh, just our gift to you. You can see us after service, we'll give you a Bible. Um, but if you don't have one, we'll have it up on the screen. You can pull out your app, you can pull out the, uh, I mean, it's amazing they make books that you can actually open. I gave some books to friends recently and they criticized me because they weren't on Kindle. I'm disappointed on that. Um, but they do still use paper for books and your Bible actually still works. Just a public service announcement to everyone out there. How to live when life is hard. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. That word actually means like strengthen your heart, because the Lord's coming is near. What's the first thing James tells us when life is difficult and we're suffering? He says, be patient. And none of us are excited about that. Nobody's like, what? That's not at all what we wanted you to tell us, James. Have you ever noticed that patience is not something you're looking to cultivate in your own life? None of us are saying, oh, I really want to grow in patience. And I've heard, I had, a, I had a ninth grade biology teacher once say this, and I believed it, and I think it's a lie. He said to me, and he was a good man, I believe he was a godly man, but he said, he said, I don't pray for patience anymore, because when I pray for patience, I get more problems. That's false. That's categorically false. That's not true. That's not how God works. Patience is a character quality that God wants to build into your life, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't want to pray for patience, you don't want the Spirit to be active in your life. I win that argument. I know some of you agreed with my professor, and now you can't anymore. Um, because that's what the Spirit is developing in you. Patience, that's one of the things. And here's what I know about a capitalistic consumer society like America. We don't like patience. We are the people who invented express lanes in grocery stores. Like, you know when that sign's lit up and it says 15 items or less and you're in line and the card in front of you is a little bit fuller than 15, we are the people who know that's 18, lady, not 15. You know that. We're the people who invented Easy Pass. 
And we don't just do easy pass, we speed through the easy pass. I mean, you know you're having a bad day if you get a speeding ticket on easy pass. It's like, wait a minute, you don't even have to stop, but now you need to go faster. It's like, what's wrong with us? And then we have Keurigs, as one of my favorite comedians says, so you could have gas station coffee at home. And we don't want to wait for our coffee to brew. We want to put that cup in there and we want to press play and we're like, yep, that only took 30 seconds. And then there's like planes. Do you know that some people get disappointed when their plane doesn't have Wi-Fi? Like, do you realize you're sitting in a chair in the middle of the air? Heard a comedian say that once, I thought it was brilliant. That you have lost the enamored with the miracle of flight and what used to take people like 14 years to get from New York to California, you did in six hours, people would die along the way and they don't have Wi-Fi and you're like, this plane is terrible. I mean, none of you have dial-up, right? Maybe you do because you're choosing patience. Remember when you used to go to the grocery store and you bought Honey Nut Cheerios and they gave you like AOL for free online and then you put that in, you download it on your computer for the 119th time and then you try to log into the internet and it's making all sorts of sounds that you've never heard before and you're like, well, I guess I'm getting hooked up to something and then you get connected to Al Gore and you're like, okay, the internet, I'm good. That was a good joke, you'll get it later. <laughs> but now we have like fiber optics, like we need everything to download faster. And here's the reality, as a company, maybe you work for a company, you're not having discussions in your strategy meetings that are saying, how could we slow things down? How could we make our customers wait just a little bit more? Because you would never do that. You're going to get eaten alive. Our culture does not value patience in any way. And when we're in pain, what we want most is for the pain to end as soon as possible. We're wondering where God is, we're wondering what he's up to, we're wondering why me, and we don't want to be patient. And James has the audacity to tell us, when life is hard, be patient. How patient? Patient like a farmer who is waiting for the rain to come so that his crops can grow. But James is not calling us to passivity. Some people think patience is just silently waiting but you don't really know what you're waiting for, but that's not at all what James is saying. James is not saying wait without hope. James says the kind of things you're supposed to be doing when your life is hard is you are supposed to fix your focus on the future because there's a day coming that you are patiently waiting for in your trials. And what is that day? James tells us two times what's gonna happen. He says be patient until. That means there's gonna, something's gonna happen where you won't need to be patient anymore. There's gonna come a day when patience is over for you. Everyone say amen, that's gonna be a good day. Amen, right, but when is that? When Jesus returns. The day we wait for in the midst of our trials when life is hard is the day when Jesus returns to the earth. He is going to come to save those who love them. Excuse me, love him. And he is going to rescue us from the pain and the suffering and the injustice and the oppression of this broken earth. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Have you thought about that recently? Maybe you're like, you know what, Joe, I don't really know what you mean by Jesus is coming back. And you're like, you know, I've kind of been coming here. That sounds a little goofy. I liked it until you said Jesus was coming back. Here's what Christians believe. Not weird Christians, normal Christians. We believe because the Bible teaches us repeatedly that Jesus Christ will return to the earth. And he will set up his kingdom once and for all. And there'll be a new heavens and there'll be a new earth. 
and all those who love him will spend eternity with him, and all those who don't will be judged by him. But Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to wipe away every tear. Jesus is coming to erase every memory of a bad day. Jesus is coming to do justice to his enemies. You know, it's interesting. For people who are facing oppression and persecution like James's readers were, J James says, be patient. And he doesn't say, make war against those who are persecuting you. And this is not like any type of commentary on the government or crises in the world. It's a personal application. Be patient. Don't retaliate. Don't revolt. Be patient. He doesn't say, you go out there and you tell your boss off. You tell him what you really think. He says, be patient. Why would James say that? Because Jesus will return and he'll take care of business. See, you and I, we don't have the capacity in our human fallenness to exact vengeance in a just way. Our hearts always want vengeance for others because we're trying to justify ourselves. And so James does not call his readers to revenge. He calls them to wait for the one who will do vengeance. That's not a very comfortable or politically correct thing to say. But be patient for those of you who are suffering injustice at the hands of ungodly people. Jesus will return. And Paul tells us in Romans 12, 17 through 19 how to live when we're being treated unjustly. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That could be a whole sermon. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. So you can't, you can't kind of control what other people do at all, but you, as far as you're concerned, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Man, that's kind of like, I mean, that's like, that's like serious. Like, I am not going to take revenge on that person because I'm just going to let the Lord do his thing. We usually want to get our point across, and we usually want to exact punishment. And Paul says, no, no, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Patiently waiting is hard work. In the midst of our waiting, we are forced to keep going and keep facing the difficulties of life. And our lot is just like the farmer. Catch this. This is super important. Can the farmer make it rain? No. He has to wait for the autumn rain and the spring rain. And this was when the rains came back in the Mediterranean, or back in these times when it was written. It was like they'd come from September through mid-October, and the rains would come so that the crops would go, would grow. And then the rain would come back in the spring. And the farmer had to hang on to hope that the rains would come in order that he would be able to survive and sell his crops. There's something in that statement from what James is saying about the faithfulness of God. That as you're waiting, what you're waiting for is Jesus to return and you're taking God at his word that he is faithful and he will do what he said he is going to do. But you can't speed it up. Can we pray for rain? Sure. Can we pray for Jesus to come back? Sure. But part of waiting is knowing that he's God and you're not. That his timing is right and yours is not. 
that he sees and knows all things, but you don't. You know, as we're thinking about Jesus coming back, I think for many of us, life is just difficult enough where we'd hit that button in about eight seconds. Yep, ready. Because we'd have the best afternoon you'd have ever imagined. But see, the heart of God is that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. So as Jesus is seemingly delaying, it reminds us that there is still work to be done. There are still people to reach. There are still people who will die and not spend eternity with Christ. There are those who have never heard the gospel. So until Jesus returns, there is much to do. Then James says this. So how do you live when life is hard? Number one, you're patient. And then James says this in 5.9. This is just so James. If you've been following with us, this is like just so what he would do. He says this. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This is not a different passage. It's not like I switched books. Like all of a sudden we were just like, okay, we got to be patient. Jesus is coming back. Okay, James, I feel what you're selling. Okay, good. All right, I got to learn to be patient. Jesus is coming. I'm going to trust the Lord. God is faithful. And then it's like, hey, wake up and be nice to each other while you're waiting. Don't grumble or you're going to get judged. Things just got real. It's like James, one minute you're comforting me to be patient, and the next minute you're saying, yeah, and uh, you're going to get judged too if you don't learn how to treat people who are around you when you're suffering. At first glance, it can seem like James is switching topics, but have you ever noticed when you are facing difficult circumstances, think about your life, think about who you are, think about how you've even spoken to people this week, Have you noticed that when you're facing difficult circumstances and things aren't going the way you think they should go, you have a tendency to have a shorter fuse, you're more irritable, and more easily frustrated by others, or is that just me? Like, have you noticed when you're in the pressure cooker, you lash out a lot more? Hey, listen, no one's struggling to be nice on the beach. When you have a pina colada, alcohol-free, probably, or Pentecostal, got to say that, maybe not, maybe not for you. That's a different sermon for a different day. Won't go there. And you have your feet up, and the ocean is beautiful, or the lake you're at is beautiful. You're not under stress. You're like, this is awesome. And you love your family, and you're like, they can do no wrong. And the people around you, you're like, oh, it's so good to meet you. Normally in real life, you would annoy me a lot. But I love you right now. But as soon as the temperature gets turned up in your life, how many of us just start to get a little grumbly with the people around us? This summer, my wife and my kids took a trip to uh, North Carolina and to see my wife's family. And she told me, I said, how did everybody do? She goes, well, Olivia, <clears throat> who's only uh, two, she did great. And she was with our niece, Emma, who's like one and a half. She did great. But Joseph and Lucy in the back, they fought with each other the whole time. Why? Because it's a trial to drive nine hours. <clears throat> Excuse me for one minute. This is a trial. You understand this, though. I'm trying to get through it. It'll be over soon. You understand that when you're in the pressure cooker, you're going to be tempted to grumble. Grumbling is when we stop being patient with others and essentially write them off. 
we stop loving them and we start judging them. We stop believing in others and we give up on them. The clearest test of whether or not you are actually being patient in your suffering. Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know if you're being patient? How are you treating those around you? What's your attitude like towards your spouse or your kids or your boss or your neighbors or your friends? When life gets hard, we want to point the finger And instead of growing in the grace of patience, we blame shift to those around us. And then James says, not only is it bad enough we're suffering, but if you want to be a grumbler, you want to grumble, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get judged. Because Jesus is not only coming back to save his church, he is going to judge the deeds of his people as well. This is not a judgment of whether or not you're going to be with Jesus forever or not, but we will be judged by how we live. And one area of judgment that I have to face and that you have to face is the words we speak against others. Like Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2, he says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 12, 36. I think this is probably one of the most scary verses in the whole Bible. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. You thought about that? Let me just read that verse. The careless words you speak casually against other people. You're going to have to give an accounting for those. Your grumblings, those aren't just going to disappear. Will you be forgiven for those? Absolutely. Do we repent of those and God is gracious and he's merciful? Absolutely. But we have to give an accounting for what we said. Impatience with those around us is an indicator of a serious lack of love. Impatience is a lack of trust in God's goodness. It's a lack of humility, and impatience and grumbling is an overestimation of our own importance. So let me ask you this morning, if your life is difficult, who are you taking it out on? Who have you chosen to point the finger at? Is it your spouse? Maybe you're in a financially hard time, and so you and your spouse don't really get along much because you're each pointing the finger. Is it your boss at work because he's a jerk? And so you found that it's totally fine to slander him or her. What is it? Who in your life are you taking out the pressure on? Don't grumble against each other. Spring Valley, we've had a lot of good days, but maybe our days will become difficult. Who knows what the future has for us? Are we going to continue to be the kind of church that treats one another well? Are we going to live in community and when our lives are hard, we're going to continue to love each other and choose not to speak slanderous words against one another? I want to be a part of a church like that. Patiently waiting for Jesus and being kind. Here's the last thing James says. Not only are we supposed to be patient, not only are we not supposed to grumble, but James says this. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. 
you have, someone's on the roof, you have heard of Job's perseverance and will persevere through the message and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Here's the last thing when your life is hard, stay standing. A lifestyle of patiently enduring difficulty has always marked the lives of God's people. James reminds us of this by giving us two biblical examples. See, some of us think, Jesus rode from the dead, my life's not going to be hard anymore. Some people have this version of Christianity that we're free from all suffering. No, we're not. No, we're not. We still have to deal with the realities of life on the earth. Does Jesus bring healing into our lives? Absolutely. Does Jesus open up doors for us that otherwise, apart from him, wouldn't be opened? Absolutely. Does Jesus make our lives better in every way? And yet we still face suffering. And James says, just so you know what patience and suffering looks like, look past the resurrection, past the cross, and into Old Testament history, and look at the prophets. Look at people like Jeremiah, who suffered at the hands of pagan kings and even his own people. Or Daniel, who was taken into captivity and refused to bow his knee in worship to a mere man, even if it meant death. Or Isaiah, who as church history tells us, was sawed in half, and Hebrews 11 hints to, because of his faithfulness to God. Are you going to be so faithful to God when life is hard that you're willing to get sawed in two? That's an important question, and I don't think you should avoid answering it. I don't think we should just be like, oh, that's not going to happen. Move on. No, no. Where are you at? Are you all in? Is Jesus Christ your treasure? Are you going to be like the prophets who continue to speak for God? That means they continue to be in their ministry. They continue to serve Christ. For the prophets, it meant doing the will of God meant life got harder, not easier. Are you in for that? Or are you looking for country club Christianity? Where I tell you you're a champion, you give your money and everything's fine. It's not how it is. Life gets difficult and your faithfulness will be challenged. Will you continue to serve Christ? Will I continue to serve Christ? These are the watershed issues of our lives. Some of us face a little bit of resistance. Life gets a little bit hard and it's like, God, why God, why God? Will you stay faithful to him? See, because some of us, we face hard times and then we want to hide and we want to do this to God. It's like, I'm taking my ball and going home because I didn't sign up for this. And Jesus says, what did you sign up for? Following the guy who got murdered, who said, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. All of my apostles, they got murdered. What did you think this was going to be? 18 holes with a cart in the middle of an August afternoon with everything going perfectly? No. Don't be deceived. Following Jesus is a radical call on every part of your life. And though many of us won't die on foreign soil, being persecuted or beheaded, we must be willing to be hated. We must be willing to go where God calls us to go. We must be willing to stand in the face of everything that life throws at us and say, Jesus, you are the pearl of great price. I am selling everything to get more of you. Is that your life? Or are you just here to get blessed? Some of you need to absolutely repent of apathy. 
and repent of making your walk with Jesus about your comfort. Some of us just need to have a time at the end of the service that says, I'm yours, Lord. Come hell or high water, I am yours. I'm yours if I don't have all the money I want. I'm yours if I don't have the house I want. I'm yours if I don't have the kids I want. I'm yours if I don't have the job I want. I am yours. I'm a vessel of the King of Kings. I am called to be a witness, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if that means hard days, that's okay. Where are you at? Where are we at as a church? Are we willing to be maybe even just mocked a little bit for sharing our faith with our neighbors? Will you continue to speak for God? Or are you not willing to, re- to bear the reproach of Christ? These are things that Christians must wrestle with. And in no way am I trying to beat you up. I'm just telling you, the cost of following Jesus is not cheap. And for those of us who want it to be cheap, this is not for you. And you can go to a lot of churches and it be cheap. But I wonder how many of us are willing to respond to the call of God on our lives to live radically for him right where we are. I wonder if we think of ourselves as prophets who will continue to speak in the face of injustice. I wonder if we're willing to put God first day in and day out and seek Jesus with all of our hearts. I'm wondering how many of us are, what is this willing to cost you? What's your limit? Are you willing to have your body sawed in two? Or is the capital campaign enough to keep you away? These are real questions. Some of you haven't even surrendered your money to Jesus yet. Some of you haven't surrendered your time to Jesus yet. And we need to give him everything. We've created a third category called comfortable Christianity. It doesn't exist. We're either following him or we're not. And James says, in the midst of your trials, look at the prophets. They kept speaking. Will we be a church that is faithful to Jesus until the last day? And if you're like, that was kind of harsh, well, I have good news because James gives us another example. He says, look at Job. As you know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job is a curious example of patience in suffering. If you know Job's life, you know that he started strong, but in the middle, it was pretty bad. He questioned God a lot. He had terrible friends. He questioned God's goodness. He questioned God's character. And he wondered what God was up to. And maybe you're here today and life is hard and you're in the same place. You have a lot of questions for the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with doubt. And that's okay. It's okay to have questions when life is hard. It's okay to get confused and not see what the Lord is up to. Because James didn't commend Job to us because he was unflinching in suffering. James commended Job to us because he persevered. Perseverance in the Greek is the word hupomone. It literally means hyperstand. 
It is the picture of a soldier engaged in battle who is told to hold his ground no matter how intense the fighting gets, no matter how much the enemy is attacking. Don't move. Hyperstand. It's like, I don't care what comes my way. I'm getting through this. Perseverance is what God is after in your life that you would continue to stay on your feet and stay faithful to Jesus. This is what the Christian life is about. But God's not cruel. James says on the other side of suffering, patience, and perseverance is a God who blesses. James tells us we, have, we saw in Job's life what the Lord finally brought about. What did God finally bring about in Job's life? Exponential blessing. Job was more blessed after he suffered than he was before he suffered. What's the principle for us that James is trying to get across? There is a great blessing from God on the other side of your suffering. We don't persevere in vain. We don't persevere because we want to be tough. We persevere because we're like, God, I want your blessing. It's like Jacob who wrestled with God and said, I will not leave until you bless me. And then Jacob walked away with a limp. And sometimes suffering causes us to limp. But God will bless. And will it always be materially? I don't know. I don't think so. That hasn't been my experience in everyone's life. It's not like all Christians who've persevered are rolling on 20s and living in a mansion. Like we know that, right? But there is blessing on the other side of perseverance. God is not sitting on the sideline saying, let's see if they can handle this. Rather, he never forsakes us. He is full of mercy and full of compassion. And he will vindicate us as we patiently persevere and wait on his timing. This is the right response when life is hard. To be patient, eagerly anticipating the return of Christ, and yet staying faithful to him not grumbling against each other, being kind when life gets hard, loving our spouses, loving our children, loving our friends and our bosses and our coworkers, even when they don't treat us the way they should, loving each other at Spring Valley when we have relational difficulties, which will happen it's always shocking to me when people are surprised that church can be difficult sometimes. Let me just give you a little heads up. You know how in your family things can be difficult sometimes, like you get frustrated with those people? Yeah, this is a family. That's the picture God gave us of the community of faith. It's the family of God. So just like every family, we have our challenges. Too many people get disillusioned by the church because we're human beings. And I'm not saying we're not culpable there. I'm just saying that have a category in your mind that you're sitting next to sinners who need Jesus just as much as you do. And if you've been hurt by a church or you've been hurt by our church, we want to know, we want to own it, we want to work to reconcile, and we want to love and forgive each other. But don't grumble. And stay standing. Persevere. I'll leave you with two scriptures. And then I want to share a quick story with you. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him.
Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So what is the picture Paul's trying to paint in Romans 8? Here's what it is. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, the day will come when you are going to inherit everything that Jesus Christ has. You will have the same rights and status and privilege over the things of God that the Son has because we are co-heirs with Christ. You're like, is Jesus rich? Yeah. How rich? Super rich. There will come a day when there will be no such thing as a financial crisis. There will be no such thing as economic hardship for those who love Jesus. In this life, no. In the life to come, yes. Why? Because you have an inheritance, friend. For those who love Jesus, you have an inheritance. And you will inherit all of what belongs to Jesus. But you see the condition, don't you? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, that's a big if, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And that word sufferings in context in Romans 8, that's not talking about persecution. That's talking about the sufferings of life. That's talking about the sufferings we experience in our body, like life on the earth, like what we experience. So do you want to experience a glorious inheritance? I know I do. But part of that is suffering well. Are you willing to suffer well? This week, um, my uh, little Lou, Lucy, she's five. She's getting ready to start kindergarten. And she's super cute. And she had to go to something called kinder camp. And that's basically like where they warm you up for kindergarten. So we drop, you know, you drop her off. She goes to like her day. And then she comes back, and it's kind of like a little preview of school. And Lucy was really excited for kindergarten all up until like three days before kinder camp, until the reality that she was going to have to leave mom and dad set in, and mostly mom. And so the morning, Tuesday morning came, and Lucy was just like woke up and just started, you know, crying, and it wasn't pretty. It was just like, did not want to go. I did not want to go. And Cheryl and I are just like, you know, we're the kind of parents that just say, you got to do it. Like, we don't do it like, you have to. It's more like, come on, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. And Lucy would ask us about 112 times, Mom, are you going to pick me up? No, we're going to leave you there. No, we'd look at Lucy and we would say, yes, we're going to pick you up, Lucy. We're going to pick you up at 11.30. We're going to pull up. We're going to get there, and we will pick you up. What if you don't pick me up? We're going to pick you up. And, and I know some of you are like, well, what if you die? There will be someone who loves you to pick you up. We will pick you up. And so Tuesday comes. We basically have to push her out of the car. She goes, and we pick her up. And she had sort of a good time. And then Wednesday comes, and it's the same thing all over again. Will you pick me up? 
Cheryl gave her a little ring to say, when you look at this ring, remember, mom and dad are going to pick you up. Have to push her out of the car. Hey, we picked you up, right? And then on Thursday morning, the same thing, tears everywhere, and I'm trying to reason with her. Lucy, we picked you up on Tuesday, right? We picked you up on Wednesday, right? We're going to pick you up again today. We picked her up. And that is what it's like to wait for Christ. That we may hate what we're going through and we may not want to go through it and it seems that the day gets long. But he is going to pick you up. He is coming for you. And you're like, how do we know? Because there's an empty tomb. Because there's a man who lived 2,000 years ago who paid for your sin on the cross, who went into the grave dead, totally dead, and he rose and over 500 people saw him and he said I'm coming back he does not break his promise so as you're in the middle of the story remember you can skip ahead to the end and read the last few pages and even though your chapters are filled with pain he's going to pick you up Lord, we are, uh, we are just in need. Lord, as we sung, sometimes we need you to uphold us. Lord, sometimes our knees get really weak and they want to buckle and we can't stand anymore and we want to stop persevering. So we just welcome you in. Give us the grace that we need to stay faithful, to follow to trust, to believe you, to trust your promises. And Lord, we'd be remiss this morning if we didn't remember that as we sing this song this morning that you're sovereign over us, Lord, it's only true if we could sing it in hard places like Iraq or West Africa or Ferguson, Missouri. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who are having a hard time standing. We stand with them and we pray that you would strengthen their legs, you would strengthen their hearts. For those who are being persecuted for what they believe, I pray you'd be near to them. And Lord, we know you care about our problems and we know you care about their problems. And Lord, I just ask you as the body of Christ that we would learn to eagerly anticipate your return and in between here and there, eagerly work 
to build your kingdom. Lord, we need you. Teach us to wait. Teach us to love well. In your name I pray.